Good morning, church. If you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open up to the book of Hebrews. This morning, uh, we will uh, be spending the spring semester uh, walking through this book. And several weeks ago, uh, my wife asked me um, where I was transitioning after Christmas and Advent. And I told her we're going to walk through the book of Hebrews. And uh, she looked at me and said, could you not have picked a more difficult book? And I told her, well, I'm a very difficult person. And so uh, I think this was fitting. And um, one of the most uh, difficult books to understand, to interpret, to walk through. Uh, but yet I, I know that you and me as well are always up for the challenge. Hebrews chapter one, beginning in verse one, would you read with me as the word of God says this to us this morning? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which the angels did God ever say, you are my son today, I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would bless the teaching and reading of your word. We pray that you would uh, imprint on our hearts to be more like your son Jesus in this time. We ask these things in his name, and God's people said, amen. One of the reasons why uh, we have transitioned out of Christmas and Advent and into the spring season looking at the letter to the, to the Hebrews is primarily because this was a letter that was written to the church that was meant to remind the people of God that Christ is better. He is better than anything that you would pick and choose. He, would, he was better than anything that you would long for. And so the writer of Hebrews has this initial conversation with a group of people who were facing what we would just simply call persecution. He was writing to a group of people that had loved ones that were suffering, that were going through hard and difficult times. He was writing to a group of people who were walking away from the faith, who were unfaithful to their church, but more particular, they were unfaithful to their Lord and Savior. He was writing to a group of people who found difficult doctrines very hard to believe. They were thrown at them theology and biblical theology and they said, we simply don't understand this and we're simple-minded people. And so the writer of Hebrews comes along and he begins to address those things to them. He writes to a, a people that just simply did not understand the ways of the world and did not understand what was happening in the life of their church and they watched as people after, after people walked away from the faith and 
and abandon the scriptures that we so hold dear. Many of you are familiar with a theologian and, and lay person, if you will, by the name of William Barclay. He calls the book of Hebrews the absolute most difficult book in all of the New Testament to understand. The modern day philosopher William Lane Craig agrees and he says that it is the most difficult book to understand, but if you would just press into it for just a moment, the rewards are full of richness. Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, some say Barnabas, some say Apollos, some say Paul, some say Luke. The early church historian Origen said that we have no idea who wrote it, and if Origen didn't understand that, then we probably don't know who actually wrote it, but most likely, probably Paul or probably Luke, but the author of Hebrews is really irrelevant to us today. What we do know is that he speaks to a group of people that understood from the very beginning that the book of Hebrews was a part of the canon of scripture in the early church. He wrote to a, a group of people that, that understand, that understood that this was the word of God and that we must understand it and seek to understand it. And so beginning in verse one, if you would draw your attention to the, the text this morning where the writer says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now think about this for just a moment. In all the ways that God spoke to his people in the Old Testament, all the variety of, of delivery methods from the visions and the dreams, he, he delivers messages to his people. He oftentimes delivers them through angels and through audible voices, through whirlwinds and through writing on walls in mysterious ways. He, he speaks to his people through burning bushes and worship songs and the Psalms, and he puts messages in the mouths of donkeys. In all the ways that God speaks to his people, he speaks through poetry and, and prose, and in all of these ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And yet, he goes on in verse two, and he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now in the Greek, it literally reads not by his son, but it reads literally in his son. And in the English translation, it, it doesn't quite render this the way that, that it's meant to be read and, and the way that it's meant to be understood. The, the previous prophets have given the word of God and yet now Jesus being the word of God. Not illustrative of it, not, not given to it, but yet he is the word of God. He was the perfect embodiment of the Father in these last days. He has spoken to us in his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things. What the writer of Hebrews begins to do is he begins to show us how superior Jesus is to all these other men who have come before him. 
He begins to show us how, how, how he is the heir of all things, the one to whom everything is pointing to. Do you know that within your life, everything that God gives you, everything that God grants you, everything that God appoints to, to your home, to your kids, to your grandchildren, to your family, all of those things Ultimately, in God's sovereignty, in his kindness, in his goodness, in all of his wisdom, all of these things, they ultimately point to Jesus. Every good thing that he's done for you, church, in your life, every good thing he has done for this church, this collective body, ultimately it points from the Father to our Savior the Lord Jesus, and it points to him. So that you and I would gather in a, in a day like this, in a moment like this, and we would sing songs, and we would sing praises, that we would adore him, and that we would worship him, that ultimately he, he would understand that in this moment, we as the church, we adore him, we worship him, we sing songs that reflect his glory. We sing songs that reflect his honor. We sing songs that reflect everything that he is. We as a church, we gather because, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, in his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. It's the picture of a, of a father who prepares an estate who prepares an, an inheritance, who prepares a home, he, he prepares a, a vehicle, he prepares all that he owns and he, and he gives it to the son. He works with the, the lawyers and the attorneys and, and the family and the friends and, and he, he leads all of these things whom he appointed the heir of all things, the one that it is all coming to. All that we do, all that we say, all that we worship, all that we give, all that we tithe, all that we sacrifice, all that we serve, all of these things, he is the one to whom it is the heir of all things. Verse two goes on and he says, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Through whom he also created the world. If you skip forward just a little bit in verse three, you will see that he, he goes on and he says, through whom he created all the world and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus created all things. He was there in the very beginning. There was never a moment in which he was not. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Listen to me. Friend, no other prophet, no other man, no other woman, no other human being ever did such. They never upheld the universe. They never upheld the world by the, by the word of their power. Yet, he did. He upholds the universe by the word of the power. The, the sheer magnitude of, of this statement in this moment as the writer of Hebrews delivers this 
to the church. Years ago, I read about our solar system approximately 7.5 billion miles in diameter. If you got in a car and and you started to drive at at 65 miles per hour to get across our solar system in this moment, it would take you 13,172 years, 338 lifetimes. Now I know that some of you are really old in this room. And I know you, you perhaps think, well, I could do that, but 338 lifetimes to drive across our solar system. Astronomers say there are over 100 billion solar systems in existence. So 338 lifetimes times 100 billion solar systems just to get outside of the Milky Way, 50 billion galaxies in our universe. And yet the writer of Hebrews says that this Jesus to whom we worship this morning, through whom he created the world, he upholds the universe by the word of his power, by just speaking it into existence. 338 lifetimes for you and, and for me. And yet he says, he, he just speaks and it is. He goes on and he says in verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And I don't know about you, I know that I've enjoyed the cool weather that has come uh, in Texas, but in, but in August, my wife and I, we, we don't really enjoy the, the Texas weather. We don't enjoy the the 100 degree days and and walk in and and talk in and all of those things. But yet in this moment, when I I look at the sun and, and the writer of Hebrews says he's the radiance of the glory of God. And yet when I look at the sun, the core of the sun, this high pressure environment that, that exists where all the atoms collide together and fuse and they, they emit this light and they emit this heat. That's what Jesus is. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the, the brightness of, of God's glory. He's the manifestation of the, of the holiness of God, the perfection of God on display for the world to see. He's the radiance. He goes on and he he says he's not just the radiance of the glory of God, but he's the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, in in Jesus, you see exactly what God is like. You you wanna know who God is. You wanna know what he's like, friend. You just look at Jesus. You look at his character and you you look at his nature. He, He is God, he's the exact imprint of his nature. The, the whole point that the writer of Hebrews is speaking to, the whole point of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament is pointing to, to this idea that, that Jesus was fundamentally different than every other teacher, than every other preacher. He's the imprint of, of who God is He's the exact imprint, the radiance of, of the glory of God. 
so that, verse four, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For which of the angels did God ever say, verse five, you, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And quite a peculiar statement that exists there in the New Testament. And if we don't understand the Old Testament, we, we won't understand the New Testament. But in this case, he's quoting directly from 2 Samuel chapter seven. And sometimes we, we see things like this and it throws us off and, 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 and people say, well, why would you, why would you apply this in, in this way? Well, Second Samuel seven fourteen says this, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. And so we look at this and, and we say, hey, pastor, I thought we were reading the book of Hebrews. Why are we talking about Jesus in this sense, Second Samuel, committing iniquity? Are, are you saying Jesus will, will sin? How, how is this about Jesus? Well, Luke 24 helps us understand the passage in Second Samuel, which helps us understand what's going on in Hebrews 1. And in Luke 24, it says that Jesus, after his resurrection, walked his disciples through the entirety of the Old Testament. And they, he showed them how all of the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way to the very end, that ultimately it points to him. That he was the, the eschaton, he was the goal, he was the end result of all of the word that was delivered in the Old Testament, all the, the word of the prophets that were given to him. He was the one that all of this was pointing to. That the goal of, of salvation, the, the goal of understanding who God was, that ultimately it had been revealed in Christ. And there were moments, certainly in Micah 5 and Isaiah 53, where it speaks directly to Jesus, but, but yet all throughout the Old Testament, we have this, what's called just a shadow, pointing to that one day a savior would come. One day God would, would send his son and, and he would put him on the cross and he would crucify him for, for you and, and for me and he would put him to death so that one day you and I could call upon the name of the Lord. One day you and I would call upon him to be our savior, to trust in him, to believe in him because he is the only one that is worthy. But if you would look carefully with me at verse three, he, he says elsewhere, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And what this does in this moment, it reminds the church, it reminds the family of God that Jesus was fundamentally, he was different than all the other teachers. He was fundamentally different than all the other men, all the other prophets that had come. He, he had a different nature, a different kind of ministry. He was fundamentally of a different kind and type of person. 
Whereas other prophets, they gave instructions about what we must do to be reconciled to God. Yet in this moment, Jesus, on the other hand, he does the work on our behalf to reconcile us to him. Not telling you and me that you must do X, Y, Z or A, B, C to to be right with God. Yet Jesus comes and says, the things that all the prophets have told you to do, I will do on your behalf. I will go to the places that none of them are willing to go. I will put myself to to death willingly, voluntarily to to go on your behalf and and your neighbor's behalf and the person to the right of you and to the left of you where all the other prophets said, you must do these things. Jesus said, I will do these things for you on your behalf. The heir of, of all things making purification for all of your sins. And then it says that he, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I don't know about you, but when I finish my, my work, when I finish the things that I'm called to do, I, I like to sit down. I like to sit. I don't want to run. I don't want to Go, but when my work is finished, when I, when I go through the day and, and, I, and I, I raise my five kids and at the end of the day, I'm like, it's, it's nine o'clock, you're going to bed, dad needs to sit. It's because I'm tired. It's because the work is, is finished. Whether the kids know it or not, or the, or the people know it or not, Jesus says in this moment, after making the purifications of sins, he sits down at the right hand, the place of favor, and he rests. Because the work is done. And friend, we worship a savior today where we can emphatically say the work is done. And the call for the the people of God in in this moment for the church is simply this, that, that we would rest in the finished work of Jesus because he sits and he rests. And he reigns over the universe. He, he reigns over all of your lives. He, he reigns sovereignly over this church, over your home. He rests. His friends, he, he is not hurriedly up there or busily preparing a place for you. He, he reigns as the ruler and as the king of the universe. And he sits. He sits at the right hand of the, of the Father and, and there he rules over all things. The right hand, the majesty on high, fundamentally different than every angel, fundamentally different than every teacher, fundamentally different than every prophet, fundamentally different than every man, woman, and child that has ever existed. He, he rests because he is. He's the savior of your life and he's the savior of your home. He's the savior of this church. He, he rules at the right hand of the majesty on high. One of the things that the writer of Hebrews does is 
the church was struggling with who Jesus really was. And does he really reign? And they began to worship men. They began to worship angels. They began to worship these beings that we don't often speak of in, in Southern Baptist churches as if we were accused to be charismatics in this place. And, and they wrestled with these things. And, and so the writer of Hebrews comes along and he, and he says this, this Jesus long time ago to whom was the heir of all things, to whom was, was there when he created the world, to whom was the radiance of the glory of God, to whom was the exact imprint of God's nature who upholds the universe by the word of his power. That he is nothing like any of those who had come before us. Where the prophets preached about the word that was to come, Jesus comes and he says, I am the word. Where they proclaimed, they said, look, look ahead to a, to a savior that is one day coming to the people of God. Jesus comes and he says, I am that savior that you have longed for, that you have hoped for, that you have prayed for. And in one sense, as one author said it this way, Jesus is the truer and, and he is the better Adam. That all the, the Old Testament, all of the prophets, all of these things that were ultimately pointing to Jesus, he says, Jesus is the truer and the better Adam. He's the one that passed the test in the garden. He's the one that did not take the forbidden fruit. He's the one that, that walked perfectly in obedience. And now that obedience to you and to me has been imputed to us through him. He, he was the better Isaac who did not offer up by his, was not offered up by his father, but was actually the one that was sacrificed for you and the one that was sacrificed for me. Jesus is the truer and, and the better Jacob. He's the one who wrestled and he took the blow. He's the one that, that had the hip that was displaced. He was the one that received the wounds of, of grace so that you and I in this moment, in this time, would be woken up to his grace and, and to his mercy and that we would understand he is the truer and the better Joseph who sits at the right hand of, of the king and who forgives those who betray him, who uses his power to, to save them. He is the truer and the better Moses. The one who stands in the gap, if you will, between the people and the Lord, who, who mediates a, a covenant between God's people and him himself. He's the truer and better Job. He's the one that truly was innocent. He's the one that, that truly was the one that suffered. He was the one that intercedes for, for his friends that give really bad advice in his life, that it wasn't your fault. He, he's the one that stands in the place of all of that. He's the truer and the better David. The one who intercedes and, and the one who, who is victorious on the battlefield with Goliath and, and he never actually lifted a stone to, to help you and I, yet he, he stands and he, he receives the stone. He's the truer and better Samson, crushed under the weight of the, of the wicked, the world, and 
and was conquered and he, he delivers you and I. He is the real Passover lamb. He is innocent, he is blameless, he is perfect, he is helpless, he is slain. And he is put to death for your sake and for mine. He is above all things, superior to the angels, superior to the prophets, and, and he holds the universe by the word of his power. And today, in this moment, he offers you and I, he offers your friend sitting next to you and the person watching online and the person behind you and, and in front of you, he, he offers you a completely different kind of salvation. The world, the world will tell you People that don't know Christ, that are far from him, they will tell you that in order for you to, to be religious, to be a, a good person, to be an okay person, to be a moral person in all of these sins, they, they will tell you that if you will just obey what I tell you to do, it will ultimately lead to some form of acceptance. You obey do what I say, look like I look, dress like I dress, if you will just obey, then ultimately I, I will accept you. That's, that's the way of the, of the world. Yet Jesus comes here in this moment and, and he teaches the opposite. He teaches radically something completely different in this moment, that it's not obedience that leads to acceptance, yet Jesus teaches I accept you for who you are and where you are. And ultimately that acceptance from him, it will lead to some form of obedience as we follow him. Radically different and, and completely different to the ways of the world. Do, do what I say and, and I'll accept you. Go belong to my club and, and we can be friends. Yet Jesus comes along and he, he says, I accept you for, for who you are. I accept you for, for what you are. And in that acceptance, what Jesus begins to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to transform us. He begins to make us new and to make us a different person because of how he loves us and because of how he cares for us. Jesus love for us, according to the writer of Hebrews, who upholds the universe by the word of his power makes purification for your sins and, and my sins. He says, I accept you for, for who you are, but, but friend, I love you too much to, to leave you where you are. I care for you enough that, that I wanna see you walk in, in rhythms and in patterns of of godliness and, and holiness. I wanna see you walk in, in places where you, you obey and, and you trust and, and you believe. And, and your goal and your admonition as a person of Christ is that you would be someone today that looks more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. That I love you too much to to leave you where you are. I accept you and, and I understand you and, and I know you and, and I know all the things about you, but I, but I love you too deeply to, to leave you there. 
And so what Jesus says is, would you come along with me? And let me change you. Let me make you into the person that I, that I believe that you can be, that, that I believe that you should be. So that when we come to Hebrews long ago, at many times, in many ways, God speaks to our fathers, he speaks to the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken through his son. And the reason why he's spoken through his son is so that you today, leaving here in this moment, you would, you would look more like his son, the heir of all things, who upholds the, the universe by the, by the word of his power. Pray with me. Father, you, you are all that we need. You are all that we long for. You are all that we hope for. We pray that as a people that we would adore you and worship you in all of your ways and all the ways that you're, you're worthy for you are holy, you are righteous, you are good. And Father, we thank you that through your son Jesus, you have made the purification for sins. You have made us right with you. So Father, I pray that as a church this morning that we would live in a way that demonstrates that we are right with you. So Father, would you convict us? Would you change us? And Father, would you humble our hearts? And Father, would you help us adore you for all that you are, all that you will be, all that you ever were. We pray these things in Christ's name and God's people said, amen. Church, if you're here today or a guest and, and perhaps you don't know the Lord Jesus, the Bible's really simple and clear. It just says anyone that would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And so we call upon his name and, and we, we say this. When I was 17 years old, I, I said, Lord, would you save me from my sins? Would you make me right with you? And it's really as, as simple as that. There's no magic formula. There's no magic incantation or spell or whatever you think it is. Like, it's just simply, Lord, would you save me from my sins? And you call upon his name. And you believe that he is who he says he is and, and you trust him. You you walk by faith in the midst of that. And so if you're here today and, and you've never called upon his name, friend, could I implore you in this moment, in this time, would you, would you call upon his name? Just simply say, Jesus, would you, would you save me from my sins? If you know the Lord and, and you've prayed that or you, you've said that, friend, would you... Just walk with me as, as I have prayed this week. Father, would you, would you just help me be faithful this week? Would you help me believe that, that Jesus is, is better, Christ is better than all the things that my heart might be torn towards or, or tugged towards? Would you, would you just help me? Would you remind me in that moment, friend? That's my prayer for you in this moment. That's my prayer for you this week is that Jesus would be better in your life and in your home. Amen? Amen.